Here we go. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode four of the Catholic Catechesis podcast. Um, I have with me two of my very good friends, Teresa and Maureen. Why don't you say hi, guys? Hello. Hi there. And we're all we're all uh, recording from the safety and enclosure of our own homes or or living spaces. Um, as we continue to wait out the the COVID nineteen pandemic here before we can all be back on the campus of the University of Dallas that we call home. Um, why don't you give a little background about yourself? Let's start with you, Teresa. Oh, well, I didn't know this goes. Um, hello, <laughs> my name is Teresa LaCour. I'm a junior theology major uh, here at UD. Um, I am from New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, Born and raised here. I'm one of five. I have four brothers. Uh, raised in a Catholic family in the big old Southern Catholic community down here. Um, cradle Catholic, all the works. That's me. Awesome. What about you, Mo? Um, my name is Maureen. I um, was born in Cleveland, Ohio. I am one of five. I am a junior philosophy major with a biopsychology concentration. Um, I come from a more um, traditional Catholic background and I was born and raised Catholic. So again, another cradle Catholic experience. Um, yeah, I don't live in Cleveland very much anymore, but I'm originally from Cleveland. So <laughs> <obviously>. awesome. <laughs> All right, so again, um, I think as I mentioned before, this podcast goes through three kind of sections, experience, opinion, and suggestions. So we'll start out with experience just to, um, to give a little bit more, um, I want you guys to speak a little bit more to your own experience of catechesis. Um, and to begin, um, quite simply, where did you get your religious education? Was it at your home? Was it your parish? Was it from a Catholic school? Um, Maureen, why don't you start us off with this one? Oh, okay. Um, so as I said, I was raised Catholic, born um, you know, baptized soon after I was born. Um, I was baptized Byzantine Catholic, so we're still under um, the Roman Rite um, Pope, of course, but it's just a different type of um, tradition, Catholic tradition. But most of my catechesis, I guess, would come from, um, I mean, I went to a Catholic school ever since kindergarten, um, a traditional kind of uh, co-ed Catholic school up until seventh grade, and then I went to a more, um, a smaller private um, liberal arts, um, traditional Catholic school until I graduated high school. But um, my parents were always good about teaching us, you know, catechism, catechism um, in the in the house. Um, so my mom mm -hmm. was very good about living her faith. And that alone is, you know, a learning experience in and of itself. Because mm -hmm. um, you can learn a lot from the book, but you can also learn a lot by seeing how someone lives their faith. So I would say like the majority of my basic um, catechesis was through my parents and just how we lived and going to mass um, and doing little extra classes on the side. And then um, majority of my, you know, heavier theology came from um, my classical Catholic school um, from seventh grade to high school. So that was a little bit more of like the philosophical mm -hmm. background to the church and stuff. So, yeah. Right. What you Teresa? Um, I too have been, um, I think it mostly from Catholic school. I've been, um, in Catholic school since kindergarten as well. So 
I went to our parishes, um, our church parishes, like elementary school, K through seven. And then I started high school um, in eighth grade, eighth through 12th, um, all girls Catholic high school. And um, I guess you could say it was probably more uh, charismatic than not. Um, my uh, parents are very devout. I think um, I agree with Mel, like, I learned a lot by just watching them. And um, my dad especially was very um, involved in like helping us to answer kind of the more difficult questions. Like when we were little, like the difficult questions, right. quote unquote. <laughs> but um, like just keeping us informed. And um, I think one thing that's really stuck with me is like the devotion to the rosary. Like my parents introduced that when we were really young. So, um, and then also my mom is like a living saint. So uh growing up with them but then also I think I got most so yes I went to like a Catholic elementary school I can't say that that did that much for me um but I was in youth group um starting eighth grade the summer before eighth grade and then going all the way to um <laughs> to um my uh, senior year of high school and um a lot of involvement with the Archdiocese of New Orleans again like a little bit more charismatic than that um, but yeah, I think that's where I got a lot of my formation. Right. Uh, and I, I might've missed this, but where, um, where did y'all get your sacramental education? Was that through a parish or was that through, um, kind of your, your, your education, your Catholic schools? Uh, for me, so the sacrament, um, <laughs> baptism was not my choice. Uh, my parents <laughs> said I'm very grateful. Uh, no education there. But um, reconciliation and first communion was done through my second grade class. And then confirmation was my junior year of high school. And that was done back at my parish. So all of mm. us were at different high schools, but we came back like really like the class I went to elementary school with and we did our confirmation there. So kind of more through like the CYO group, um, Catholic youth organization group. Mm -hmm. Maureen, did you have any sacramental education or, or was it different for you? It was, it was about the same. I mean, um, again, being baptized Byzantine Catholic, um, you are baptized with, you're confirmed, you're given first communion all within the same, um, you know, setting. So it was a little weird for me to switch between two churches because the, um, the grade school I went to was a Roman Rite Catholic, you know, as I said, more of a typical Catholic grade school. Um, and so we did go through like first communion like that. I had like, you know, we went through all the typical rituals, even though I had technically received my first communion when I was a baby. And then when we would go to divine liturgy at our um, Ukrainian Catholic mm -hmm. parish, um, I would receive there. But then in the Roman Rite, I always felt weird. So, because none of the kids my age. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I went through First Communion through my um, grade school as well as uh, First Re Reconciliation. Um, but I left that grade school before they went through the confirmation process. So, because I was already mm -hmm. confirmed at birth, um, I didn't have to go through like an RCA or not RCA, yeah. PSR okay. kind of um, thing. But yeah, it was a little weird at first, but. Mm -hmm. um, I think going through the process with everyone else helped me more so realize what it was about. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. To the best of your recollection, guys, um, how was the how were these programs taught? 
um, did you have like a set like program? Like I know Life Teen has a, a confirmation program and First Communion stuff. Um, Dynamic Catholic is another big company nowadays. Or did you guys have a more kind of self-developed curriculum um, where you could kind of let the teachers teach from a book in the way that they would you know, want to teach? Well, I think um, for our school, in my grade school, I believe they had a pretty set program um, because we also had like a PSR program with, for kids that um, were part of public schools and wanted to join us for the sacrament um, parts. <laughs> um, right. So I believe they had a pretty great pro protocol. I don't remember exactly which um, program they used, but I remember you know reading a lot of books. Mm -hmm. And then I think the teacher took some liberty when it came to certain things. But it seemed overall pretty yeah. structured. And um, we had some religious sisters working with us um, along the way, like working with our school and being really involved in that process. So um, uh -huh. it was pretty structured throughout those processes. Throughout your, throughout your time. What about you, Teresa? Do you remember anything like that? Um, I don't really remember for second grade. I think we had like a textbook, mm -hmm. I think. Um, but for confirmation, we used a program. I don't recall what the program was. I don't think it was through That's forms, fine, yeah. but it was something, it wasn't life team, but it was something like that. I thought they did a really great job, um, of using it, or at least like we, I don't think we did the whole thing because it was like a two year program and our confirmation right. classes only went for like a few months before we were confirmed. Mm -hmm. So, uh, they picked and choose like which lessons yeah. they wanted to use but um yeah they used that structure it was really good i think um just because even though all of us really like there's a out of the class of like 50 to 60 probably less than five were like not in catholic school exactly. um but that doesn't mean that like all of our theology like education levels were matching up at that point so a lot of it was a lot more basic um mm -hmm. basics before getting confirmed and so Right, um, right. I thought that was helpful. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I think nowadays we have the advent of, of programs being developed outside of a parish. Um, instead of having uh, teachers kind of, they get their catechism and they, you know, design their, their way of teaching things. Um, it's still prevalent, but I think they're, they're now more on even footing than they were, I guess, maybe even 30 to 20 years ago. Um, which is, it's an interesting development. It's like, which one works better, right? Um, which way does the church move forward on this? So, um, yeah, uh, I don't know. What do, do you guys have any opinion on that? Yeah, that's interesting because I guess giving the teacher more liberty could be could go either way. You know, they could miss a lot of important things or maybe um, say more things that, uh, you know, a structured book doesn't exactly like... Um, talk about, but I think there ought to be some sort of uniformity, of course, because there is one truth and one, um, you know, when it comes down to it, one way to do things. I mean, but many ways to approach mm -hmm. that. Um, so I think you could leave some wiggle room um, as far as interpretation goes, but um, I think it's important to have, a, you know, a basic structure to ensure mm -hmm. the uniformity of what's being taught, you know, um, and that, that you'd be kind of risking yeah. that, you know. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Teresa? Um, I think I think it's helpful to have the the format already set, um, especially since um, 
I don't know, like, I don't think you need to recreate the wheel in, like, forming children. And, like, if you find okay. um, mm-hmm. a system that works, um, especially for parishes who, like, I would be hesitant to give the teachers more wiggle room only because, um, like, not everyone has strengths in, like, creating a format like that. And like, I don't yeah. think everyone in ministry is called to create uh their own like how to make your first communion (laughs) you know like if someone um, has spent a lot of time and like a lot of research and just like really like invested time and effort Mm -hmm. into a program and like a parish finds that it works um i don't think like having a teacher create it would be better i don't know i think it depends on the needs of each parish and like the strengths Mm -hmm. of the teachers but um i think i'm more in favor of a set oh, format okay. and then being able to adapt that to the group that you're teaching. Yeah. Very yeah. well said. Um, so yeah. Adaptability is a big thing. You don't want to put people that don't know what they're talking about in charge of talking about things. Scary. Would <laughs> um, you guys say that uh, like catechesis as a whole has played a big role in your faith formation? Or was that has that come more outside of like learning about confirmation or the sacraments or anything like that? Catechesis is strictly in the sense of like of 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 relig- of faith classes where you go and you mm-hmm. learn about the faith. Now I, I don't I'm not saying youth group isn't that, but I think youth group mm-hmm. has it youth ministry has its 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 own distinct niche within within ministry. Um uh, but yeah, anything you guys think? Go ahead, please. <laughs> um, uh, I think um, I think that catechesis has played a really big role in my faith life. Um, I don't think I would be like the major that I am without the teachers that I had like teaching me in high school. Um, and I don't think my high school experience was um, like a normal one comparing like all of the Catholic high schools in New Orleans. Okay. Um, I yeah. think my high school in particular was blessed to have a very strong theology department. And so I had a lot of young teachers who were either like just finished their master's still working towards their master's at the seminary here. Um, and they were just really passionate about uh, their their subject matter. Um, I think like my first three years of high school, it was good, it was really good. Um, yeah. And then I had a teacher junior year that kind of just, it just changed everything for me. Um, mm-hmm. She was wonderful and just really, I had a lot of teachers who lived out the faith while they were teaching it, uh, but in particular, uh, the one teacher in my junior year of high school. Um, and that was just kind of like the consistency of having her every day mm-hmm. and um, kind of taking what she was uh, teaching us in class to uh, my faith life. So I would say yes. Yeah, to Maureen. Yeah, no, I think um, that's such a unique experience being able to see, you know, learn what you're learning and then see it lived out um, in such a direct way and someone you admire and someone um, who can be there for you with all of the questions you have. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say when it comes to, like, um, my early catechesis, um, that's the thing that they were, like, teaching us. um, I think you kind of, like, referenced this, Teresa, or, or, like, kind of notion to this, that it was just, it wasn't the most fruitful type of education, you know, early on. 
It was a lot just basic, um, you know, this is what we do because we are Catholic and we go up and receive, mm-hmm. you know, put our hands out like this yeah. and receive like this. And it was very like, very okay. But even at that age, because my um, family had been very influential in teaching, um, you know, and making sure we knew some basics of the faith and knew some depth of the faith uh-huh. already. Um, for me, it was very much like, yes, God loves me. Yes, I, I do know. Yep. <laughs> you know, and they would like, so that early on, it wasn't as fruitful for me. It was a lot more. Yeah. It's kind of like, yep, this is good. This okay. Is good sounds great. <laughs> um, yeah. But then going into high school, um, as I referenced, like this was more of a classical liberal arts high school. So it was a lot more, um, we like went straight into St. Thomas Aquinas and we went straight into St. Augustine and straight into actually reading the catechism, which I had never explicitly read till I got to like, mm-hmm. you know, seventh or eighth grade. Um, and so we were reading the actual texts of our faith that formed the faith, mm-hmm. you know, and formed um, the church we know today. So um, doing that. And again, and also like, as Teresa was saying, seeing, you know, my teachers living out their faith, um, like we had the opportunity to go to mass during our lunch hour and I would see my teachers there and sometimes they would organize like a student group to go with the teacher to mass and um, the teachers would join us for rosaries for like, you know, things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. So it was a lot more real and I saw how seriously they took it and how it was like, um, this is not really a joke. This is your life. This is the truths we live by because Mm -hmm. they're true and not just because, you know, this is what we do and you're born this way Mm -hmm. and you... (laughs) parents decide to baptize you um so that was really fruitful and seeing that um and reading the actual texts and talking with Mm -hmm. actual catholics and them being there every step of the way as mentors as well really um probably the most important part yeah that's great um I'm, what I'm hearing is a bit of a common theme is that it's not really all that much the the things that you learned but the way that you were taught them right um like that that personal uh, the personal example of teachers was kind of worth a little bit more than just the content that they were kind of trying to impart to you. That's interesting. Um, I think a lot of people uh, would be of the opinion that we need to be better in, 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 in teaching the actual doctrines. And while I don't disagree with that, I feel like what you guys have said speaks to the, speaks to the reality that it's not really that it's not really that important how well we teach things if we can if we don't connect with the students right they're never going to retain it like we could give them the perfect education in terms of 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 like they can know exactly what the church teaches on all of these subjects but then they would fall away from their faith because it wasn't like they never made that connection with the teacher to say like oh this is actually real it's not just words on a page Um, yeah Yeah. thank you so much i would think that but i do want to clarify like the fact that these truths are being taught and being taught so well and thoroughly is like crucial. Mm -hmm. But then as you're saying, it does kind of um, give this extra layer of um, security almost in your faith. And like, it like penetrates deeper if you see it being lived out and people teaching it actually love it. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like if an atheist were to teach a theology class, you wouldn't necessarily see the passion and the love they have for what they're teaching in the same way. Yeah. Uh, you know, right. and I do think that can affect you a lot, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I would I would echo that. I think um, it was a blessing to have the teachers, like, 
um, really living out their faith. And we could see that. But it was also like, I had very good theology teachers. Like, I don't know if I even like emphasize that enough. Like they were incredible um, compared to like what my peers at other schools were being taught. And so um, I think it does matter like how well you teach, um, especially like to handle like the questions that we were throwing at them, like so random, like we would get into like bioethical issues all the time. Like that's all we wanted to talk about. Um, so they did a really great job of handling us, but I think like they, um, I don't know, like we could trust what they were saying because they were living out what they were teaching us. So it's just a bad layer. Yeah. Yeah. And to be able to communicate to, you know, um, people of different ages, but be able to communicate these like really giant truths of the faith Mm -hmm. that are really hard to digest at first, but just being able to communicate them in a way you understand, in a way you grasp, that's like a special skill. Um, it really yeah. is. Yeah. Not for real. I remember learning about the five proofs of God, like as a freshman in high school, but it, like the way he taught it was so easy to chew on. But then now learning it and like reading the Summa and mm-hmm. almost dying, like all the time, I'm just shocked at how well they condensed like this incredibly, incredibly right. like. Yeah. I can I can second that. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Summa is a big book. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's let's pivot to the fun is the most fun part of the interview, in my opinion, is when we get to draw out like all your deeply held like you know opinions that you never tell anybody else about the church. Uh, (laughs) 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 opinion section Um, yeah (laughs) that's what we're aiming for controversy gets clicks is what i say um (laughs) (laughs) unity (laughs) whatever all right Uh, so the first the first thing that i wanted to cover with you guys is is a couple of quotes from um one church document well i would call it a church document it's written by one of the church doctors right saint augustine incredible guy um, a little bit of background on the first catechetical instruction. It was written, um, it's literally the response from St. Augustine to a letter he got from another bishop asking for his help on um, on, on like how to teach things. Because he's like, I suck at this. Help me, please. And this is this book is is St. Augustine's reply to him. Um, one thing that he, the, the first quote that I wanted you guys to kind of think about if, and assess whether you agree or disagree uh, is he says that we learn in them what we teach uh, to the point that when we, like when we teach, we should be able to learn more about what we're teaching from the students and their, and, and uh, the, like the way, right. That we're, that we're teaching it. Um, That should bring us as catechists to a um, deeper level of understanding of our own material. Uh, I don't know. Would you agree or disagree with that? That's interesting. I mean, <laughs> I guess um, as we were saying, talking about how you know these great teachers we've had are able to translate them into like the language of, you know, one of the most in- difficult languages is teenager. Period. Just like that oh, yeah. time of your life, you, just, you have this particular mindset. I know we're still kind of in it. We're still in this teenage mindset, but um, yeah. being able to translate and make them. Um, digestible to a teenager probably is 
quite the ordeal of a learning process because you're starting to realize like, oh, if I talk about Augustine like this, the teenagers are just like, the heck, like that's stupid. Like, why would you ever feel bad about stealing a pear from a tree? Like, what the heck? Or was it an apple pear? I don't remember. I'm sorry. I think um, it was a pear. <laughs> but yeah, okay. <laughs> um, but then if you're able to present it in a different way, like you might be able to see how they perceive these truths. And in doing that, being like, you're right, the whole, like the truth is the truth but it is being perceived differently. And people throughout their experiences, you may say one thing and suddenly someone's offended or someone is moved towards loving God more or moved towards loving God less, depending on their experiences. Like, you know, um, and that could be a learning process in and of itself, you know, especially mm -hmm. reaching people of different ages um, in particular. Like you don't talk to a five-year-old the same you talk to a 20-year-old college student, you know, mm -hmm. very yeah. different. Yeah. Um, and different truths are expressed, you know, and that. So Absolutely. that's an interesting comment, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you yeah. think, Teresa? Uh, I think. So wait, the statement was: we learn in them. We learn in them what we teach. Um, I think I was thinking when Mo was talking of the statement, like, "Can't teach what you don't know," um, and so I think having at least for the teachers, like having a solid foundation on what they're teaching. Oh, yeah. um, I remember in middle school, you know, like my parents did, I, I, we were informed. I don't think we even realized how well we were informed in middle school, but I remember one of my teachers like assigning a project on the saints and she was like, oh, look, like if any of y'all are interested in the medical field, like you should look at, the doctors of the church and I was like that's wrong like as a fifth grader so like I think in my middle school years I definitely didn't really teach I didn't live out what they were teaching it didn't mean anything to them um but I think I from like what I have heard from my own like youth ministers, like now that we're kind of more peers and like my teachers, like remaining friends with them over the years, um, I think that they have been, um, they have learned a lot from teaching the material to us. I can't really comment on that too much because I am still in like a student position, but I think from like the minimal like speaking experience I've had like in like more youth ministry settings and like in mm -hmm. high school settings. Um, me having to kind of condense and kind of clarify what the Lord has taught me um, and present that like it's, I guess in a way, like just reinforcing a lesson I have learned and um, being able to share that. Um, I guess you are learning more as you teach people because I think yeah. that the truth is really simple and like it just becomes more and more simple as you keep going over it um and you kind of lose less and less of like the extra miss like surrounding i don't know surrounding like the details of the different messages and yeah. different lessons yeah no i yeah. think i definitely agree with that what were you saying <laughs> um well yeah no i think um i think something we um kind of underlyingly were was talking we're talking about um when we were talking about how our teachers seemed to live their faith uh, so we could see how the faith is mm -hmm. lived was because they knew their faith 
So like they were teaching us what they really knew and really loved. And then they were teaching it to us. And I'm again, like, as I was saying, um, mm -hmm. like, I'm sure that process for them was just reiterating that and the questions they were getting from us. Sometimes, you know, they would take a step back, like, oh, I've never thought about that before. You're right. You know, I guess you do learn like with any topic like that. But the fact that they knew it so well, and they weren't just reading, like none of my teachers had a textbook in high school. They had like, they had to pull out their own documents from this church father, that church father, this thing, that thing. Uh -huh. um, they weren't just reading like, okay, so this is what God said. And this is what we should believe. Now everyone write that in your notebook because I read it out of this book. It was more of like, mm -hmm. guys, check this out. This is what I know. And this is what I'm thinking. And what do you guys think about this? we were a seminar right, style too. Right. So we were throwing things back and forth with the teacher as well. And I guess, mm -hmm. I know like we all benefited from that, including the teacher. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so the next quote that I had from that, from the, um, St. Augustine was something that he said over kind of um, maybe cor like a, the correction of misunderstandings. He said that, um, avoid arguing, uh, to refute with what has been foretold. Um, so St. Augustine is obviously, we still, we're still very early on in church history. We don't have the ton of weight of tradition that we have now, 2000 years later, right? Cause all of these things hadn't been written yet. So St. Augustine was relying on scripture and mostly scripture and maybe early, early church fathers that came before him when he was teaching. And so what yeah. he's saying here is, is, Basically, you know, if somebody comes up with like, if some, we're teaching the truth. So if anybody says something, it makes a question of the truth, then like, there's a responsibility there to correct that with like, not maybe not entertaining so much their position, but reapplying the teaching that you were trying to, to, to push in a different manner, maybe. Um, I don't know. Yes. Uh, how, do you guys, how do you guys think? What do you guys think of that? Um, I think that, so in the fall of last year, I took a class on St. Thomas More, and he, uh, in a lot of his works, um, so we read so much of his writing, um, both, I mean, just all over the place, like from his 20s all the way until like his last work, The Sadness of Christ. And so um, we watched him, I think he kind of um, models in his writings, um, the art of uh, dialogue. And I, let me see, I like typed out the statement you just made, Jerm, but it's, um, so avoid arguing to refute what has been foretold. So I would, I would say like, based off of like Thomas uh, More's example, uh, I would agree with Augustine only in that in arguing, I think you can, there's a switch that almost goes off when things get too heated and when emotions become involved, um, nothing will be discovered. Like the, it's, um, it's almost like you, I'm like in other words, I think you just lose, uh, you're not going to change anyone's heart. There's going to be no like metanoia of any kind right. when right. you're emotional. And so you have mm -hmm. to like remain level headed. And I think, Thomas More did a really good job of exampling like how to do that. And honestly, sometimes the best thing to do in an argument is just say silent because I think as the person like talks more and more, um, they kind of can um, 
prove your arguments for you and you don't even need to point that out. And it's honestly not always charitable to right. do that. So um, I think remembering charity, like as you're talking, but like that's different for a teacher because it is their role to correct and to um, like teach the truth. But I think maybe like more amongst peers, um, I don't know. It's a very fine art that I don't know I have mastered completely, but <laughs> good, thing, good thing. I hope I have more time to work on it. <laughs> Yeah, I think the fact that you point out charity, sorry, (laughs) the fact that you were talking about charity is like exactly what I was thinking about, about, because charity is different than just being like, okay, if if you think that, all right, go you, like, good for you. Um, Because if you really love someone, you want to let them, you know, believe something false. It's just ridiculous, right? Um, So obviously, like something I've always lived by, and um, especially in like, my high school setting, which again, it was a seminar Socratic style classroom. We discussed everything. No one raised their hands. Um, uh, something we always lived by was the truth is, tr- if the truth is true, it'll be true always. So you can like combat it. You can fight it. You can argue about it. You can like beat it to a pulp, but if it's true, mm-hmm. it's going to hold, you know? And if it doesn't, and it's, you think it's untrue, but it's actually true. You're, you have faulty philosophy. So, I mean, that's way more involved, but to put it simply, um, so I think there is a way um, definitely to open someone up to their misconception of the truth. Um, if you have noticed that, especially as a teacher, like if you've noticed your student has a strong philosophy in something, you need to listen to why they have this philosophy. As you like Teresa was referring to, like it takes a lot of listening in order for charity. Like yeah. you need to understand yeah. them. Um, and in the process of listening and letting them talk it out, and maybe throwing in a few like questions, you know, like Socrates does, um, you can provoke, you know, maybe the, um, <laughs> uh, that, yeah. <laughs> the inconsistencies in their um, uh, logic or argument or things like that. But just by not saying, oh, you're wrong. That's stupid. That's obviously wrong because of this, this, and this. And they're going to be like, what do you mean? Because as soon as you say, oh, you're wrong, you're pointing on their character and not saying that argument doesn't seem quite right. You're talking about the argument then. But if you say you're wrong and you're stupid, it's like, yeah. this isn't about you. We're not talking about <laughs> you. We're talking about the truth. Right, That's right. why it annoys me to argue like that. Like, again, this isn't about you. Don't tell me I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Just talk about my argument. This is not about me. It's not about you. Right, right. It's about the truth. <laughs> That's what we're trying to exactly, reach. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, about, it's about guiding them to the truth and, like, doing that in a way that, like, upholds their dignity while... I don't know, like, teaches. I guess, like, there you have to be humble in learning, and you mm-hmm. have to, as a as a teacher, you have to have charity, like, on your students. Um, but it's such yeah. a fine line because you go too far one way, and it's like you're super prideful, and you're like, like, talking at your students. But then in the other way, you're like not giving them any um, anything of yeah. substance. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Think, yeah, it, it, exactly like you said, Teresa. There's a balance between that. Um, and I don't think Augustine yeah, you're is advocating for. Any... Oh, true. <laughs> I think Augustine is kind of advocating for uh, for for any kind of like you know, like scolding of students. But I think what he says in in the quote is is more or less like you have to understand when somebody if there's a misunderstanding then it, the misunderstanding is there. It's wrong, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that person believes that and holds that against the truth. 
Um, mm. So then the duty of the teacher there is to correct them and, and to bring them to understanding with, you know, the weight of with the weight of scripture and, and everything else. Because like, like we've said, um, a lot of times teachers don't like, teachers shouldn't really rely on their own kind of intellect, but rely on, on what's already been written for them. Cause it makes it makes their job easier. Doesn't it? Right. You have everything that's right. already been written and you bring that to, to the, to the, uh, conversation to the discourse in order to, to help them come to that understanding. Yeah, um, for sure. <laughs> really, really good, uh, really good piece there, guys. <laughs> um, all right, on to the next kind of little little uh, section that we have in, in the opinion uh, box um, is catechesis history. I don't know how 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 informed we are about the way that catechesis has developed. In, in, in the church. I think it's something that's not taught a bunch, but I'll give you all a quick rundown. Um, and basically there are, are, we from the early church to now modern day, which I'm gonna kind of put like Vatican II, right? I think that's our, the biggest like modern day indicator, right? Um, yeah. We have kind of three different schools of development. So you have the early church, which has um, St. Augustine and another guy named St. Cyril, St. Cyril of Jerusalem. They were two big figures. Um, St. Cyril had uh, 23 lectures, but before you could go into any of those lectures, if you're trying to convert, you had to do 40 days of penance, full stop, no exception. <laughs> uh, can you imagine how that would go over to Paris today if you tried to implement that? <laughs> Everybody would leave. <laughs> Nobody would be interested. <laughs> And then these lectures, um, they were made up of first hand, first off, if 40 days of penance to get rid of your sin wasn't bad enough already. Like there's an exorcism at every lecture to begin it. Um, so if you still had demons demon sitting around you, there was a problem. Um, <laughs> and then oh, wait, can we um, pause? Mel and I, yeah. we watched an exorcism movie recently together, just so you know. So we're, we're yeah. very knowledgeable. <laughs> Another podcast, perhaps. <laughs> <It's> hilarious. <laughs> yeah, so they, they had that at the beginning of every lecture. And then there's um, scripture, there's a homily on the scripture, and then there's a, a closing prayer. So you really had a lot of emphasis in the early church on making sure people understood um, the quality of the education mm-hmm. was um, was emphasized over really how many people we can convert. Um, and that makes sense for the early church, right? It's a small community. So you, we want to make sure people that are, want to enter are entering for the right reasons and don't have any any hidden motives behind their, um, their, their quote-unquote conversions, right? Now, as the church grows, as the world grows in medieval times, um, it's not that people aren't concerned about quality anymore. It's that quantity becomes the emphasis. It's how do, how do we make sure we can get all of these new people um, baptized into the church as soon as possible. Um, and so a lot of the, the education was outsourced in a way. Now, it was not the parish and the, the church community that had responsibility so much as it was um, parents um, or people outside of the church to, to educate um, people further. I mean, you got your basics, right? Um, sacraments, Eucharist, um, prayers and stuff like that. But it was really, you know, we're instructing really large groups of people. We can't really make sure that everybody gets this high quality of education because we have so many people. Um, and now with Vatican II, I think is, is the, is the synthesis of, of both of these. It's an imperfect one, but the, the goal is there is, um, I think the biggest example is the RCIA process. I don't know if you guys are familiar with anybody that's gone through that. 
Um, but it, it has a one-year waiting period before you can enter any sort of classes. And then there's a whole year of education before you're received into the church at Easter Vigil. And so it's an intensive process. And so we're trying to bring back that kind of um, quality of education that the early church had. But also, the world isn't getting any smaller, right? It's, if anything, it's getting bigger. And so we now there's like we have to find the balance between the emphasis on quantity and quality, right? Um, my question for you guys on this is that, um, do you think that that's like, that's the biggest thing that we need to find like that balance or do we need to go back to emphasizing one over the other? Um, just so, you know, moving forward. That's interesting. Sorry. So are you asking about the balance between like quantity, but then also quality, like that balance? Um, what I'm trying to ask is if, it, if um, you emphasize more with one um, kind of school of development over another, or if you think that the church should keep like trying to balance these two things going forward, or is that a fool's errand? Can we never really find that balance? And instead, we have to go back and, and kind of find how, like, how to work one over the other in the best possible way. Ooh. Yeah, it's a loaded question. Uh, I'm, I'm bringing the big guns out on this one. <laughs> okay, well, that's interesting that you uh, would make draw that distinction, how we've turned from more quality to quantity, or there seems to be a trend there. So, um, and I do think I, I mean, I do think that's pretty prevalent. Um, a lot of the times it seems like nowadays people want to get, you know, um, people in the church. We want just people in the pews, um, which mm -hmm. has something to be said, like, you know, put them in the right place so that they can be influenced by all that's around and more open to God's mm -hmm. grace through that. But again, um, we also don't want bench warmers. Like we want people who want to live their faith. So I think, um, but at the same time, not everyone can be high, high class theologians. Like that's just not. Um, how everyone's designed yeah. to be. But I think um, just like with philosophy, you know, they talk about um, how not everyone can be, you know, a, or no, or let's see. Um, when Thomas Aquinas talks about um, God and why we have some truths that are revealed to us as opposed to just everything learned by man himself um, is because not everyone can devote the time and the care to these mm -hmm. giant truths of the faith. Um, so I think as a, but for, as far as catechesis goes, you know, you do need to have a deep quality to what you're teaching so that you can foster a deep belief and to just mm -hmm. get people in with, you know, just some of the things just to like pull them in and then leave right, them right. there. It just doesn't seem um, as, you know, it just seems like a very surface level faith. And that's not mm -hmm. what as Catholics we're trying to instill. Um, you know, if you just go around Target and like start baptizing people and be like, at least we got a hundred baptized today, like great work, kids. Like that's right, not right. the same. I see what you're doing and I see why. But we're trying to move change hearts here. We're not just trying to get a like get a head count. Um, so I think quality is something that's kind of faded throughout the years. Um, mm -hmm. As like you know, Teresa was saying she had a really good the theology program and she saw her other friends, you know, not really getting that same theology program and who knows how it affected their life people can work with what they are given and oftentimes um you know it'll spark something and they'll go off on themselves but more often than not you know um 
they're given very little and then they just keep that and then it kind of fades away. So I think um, the quality is something that should be stressed. And a way we could do that would be making sure our teachers are well versed and well, um, you know, mm-hmm. not just reading from, you know, the, the theology textbook about this and this and this. Right. It's more of like that same um, really well versed in the faith and really excited about the faith yeah. um, and really devout themselves. Yeah. Would it be ideal? Um, so I think mm-hmm. we need to stress a little bit more on the quality. But there also is an extent where not everyone can be high class theologians, mm-hmm. as I said before. Um, right. What do you think, T? Um, I think, at least for like quantity, I think that there is a lot of really great ways to form people. There's a lot of really great programs, like the church is so vast and like the amount of knowledge like present within her and like just with um, sacred scripture, like sacred tradition and like all that has come like, you know, with like the new Testament, like, and just the new church um, since Jesus really. So past 2000 years. Uh, so I don't think you can like know it all. Um, but I think so for quantity, I think that it's uh, you just need like a simplicity to um, mm-hmm. to really everything. Like you don't need to be doing all the things. Uh, you just need to like, be loving the Lord. And like, I mean, I think it looks different for everyone. Like we have saints who are, you know, the Thomas Aquinas's, the um, mm-hmm. the Augustines, the Teresa of Avila's. Uh, but then you also have saints who like are more of the Therese's, like more of the, um, there's a saint I heard about the other day and he was just a door holder. Like he just opened doors for people and he's a saint. And so like, I mean, I don't think that guy was, if, I don't know what his name is, but I don't. <laughs> I, I, I have heard of him. I knew who you're yeah. talking about. I can't remember. Yeah. The name. <laughs> I don't think that he was probably like at the same level of Aquinas, but I don't know if like maybe that was like his gift. And so I think, Mm-hmm. Like we all just have different um, abilities and talents and like some are more academic, but at the end of the day, like um, I don't think it's about, okay. So it is important to have like an intellectual formation, but if you can't move that from the head to the heart, then like, I think there's something lacking and there's a disconnect. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think the same, like you can't just like have like all of this, uh, unin- uninformed like love of the Lord like I think um, they go hand in hand and I think that's what I've like really appreciated like coming to UD I think um, while I'm much more maybe like charismatic like more in like the heart group like yeah. I really appreciate being formed like intellectually like in the theology program because definitely um, <laughs> yeah having taken like a pastoral ministry class like just seeing the difference between the two and like i I didn't think it'd be that different but it is yeah (laughs) yeah like how like one informs the other and like if you can't learn about this and apply it then like you've lost something and yeah i mean i you can't just be overrun by your emotions and uh your feelings towards the lord like there has to be because there's gonna be a point where you don't want to do anything and like um it's going to need to just be an act of the will. And so, yeah. So quantity, quality, I think it needs to be simple. It doesn't need to be like all the bells and whistles. Um, but again, that doesn't mean that the quality of education should be like any less. Like 
don't know. Because the Lord is going to work with whatever you have. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, not every parish is like, you know, five star, uh, <laughs> you know, I in wish, their I wish ministry the department. <laughs> yeah, for real. So, I I, the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, very, very good answers, guys. Um, I think well, as I've asked that question more, I think people have gravitated towards that sense of balance. And pe- people give Vatican II a lot of shtick about, you know, um, is, about being an imperfect council, which it is. A lot of its documents are very vague, very difficult to kind of implement. Um, but the spirit of it, the spirit in which it was, uh, it was trying to foster, especially in catechesis, I think is one worth kind of going for instead of sacrificing one thing for the other um, or putting more emphasis on one than the other, I think trying to find that balance, although it's extremely difficult to find that balance, um, I think it's definitely worth doing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Another uh, fun little topic, and the last one here in, in this section, is something that I've thought about a little bit um, ever since I got out of high school um, because it kind of affected my own life um, personally. Uh, is do you guys think that the church should require its catechizers? So think people that are teaching uh, confirmation classes, uh, first communion classes, things like that. Uh, do they? You think they should be quote unquote professionals? Maybe not with a degree, but at least with a certificate from some sort of training program. Or do you think that they should continue to encourage people to be volunteers? Where like you volunteer, you go to a seminar with the pastor. He tells you like about the basics of it and then he lets you go which one is which one is in your opinion is is the one that the church should pursue oh well um i think (laughs) i think i mean more okay so i really appreciated the volunteers that i encountered in my like catechesis through youth so like that's right. where I'm coming from. So I, these people love the Lord. However, there was something lacking. Um, and I think that having, at least like for teachers. Okay. So also I taught like a first grade um, PSR class my senior year of high school. So was I qualified? No, I don't think they should have hired me. I don't know if I did that much for these little children. However, I don't think they'll remember. Don't yourself that too much. harshly. <laughs> well, it was, I mean, I just, it was a high school senior. Like, I was still being informed. Um, but I think it's, I think not only should they have uh, a, like, little certificate or, like, go through a training, but I think that, like they need to vet them on where they are spiritually. And like, if they aren't um, mature in their like spiritual development, um, I don't know how you can teach children something that you don't have. Um, if that makes any sense. Um, no, it, it does. It does. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Cause I, I mean, I was, I did encounter a lot of people like going through like all the retreats and like the different youth group things, like adults who were there helping that it, it can quickly become toxic and like it becomes about themselves. And so I think that's my hesitation with volunteers is that um, it, it's like, what are their motivations for doing it? You know, is right. it love the Lord? Is it like, 
actually like sharing the gospel and they feel called to do this or is it just like something else to do that they can um i don't know i don't want to like dampen yeah. like everybody's motivations and say like, they're all bad but like they're they're <laughs> really great volunteers yeah. i'm not going to deny that but i think a yeah. foundation and like making sure spiritual maturity is present in our educators um, is really important yeah yeah like how fruitful it was when um through all of our catechesis probably um when we were talking to someone who just knew so much and you could just pick their brain like crazy um that was just so beneficial um and you could ask them these questions they would get back to you on it and if they didn't know they knew someone with a blog who did or something even like that um you know and I think it's beautiful that people want to be out there and um, volunteering and spreading the word that way. But I think, you know, if we want to form the hearts and minds of, I'm thinking of the young people in particular, mm-hmm. like the young curious people. So like, you know, with five-year-olds, you can get away with very simple theology and anyone can really teach a basic theology with the basic love of God. But as soon as you get to like the really question, um, the eighth, the eight-year-old even who just has a ton of questions like well why did jesus have to yeah, die it's yeah. like of course you go into all this detail but in order to simplify it you need to have some sort of background um yeah. i had a i had a teacher in this like kind of psr class i took on the side of my high school so it was like not attached it was a family friend mm-hmm. he was doing a psr class for p- kids who went to um, more secular high schools and stuff but we loved him so much that we went um and he had a master's in theology, I think, but um, he was so good at just relating to us teenagers. Like we were, I was like 15, 16, 17 at the time. And everyone was asking him like, okay, well, what about drugs? You know? And of course he'd know the answer for that, but know it from such a depth. Like he would say very simple, like, well, the church teaches this, this, and this, and this is why. And I know starting a recording. There we go. Yeah. But when Mel was saying, yeah we're back commercial break um but i think like i think it's just the reality like some people have a gift for teaching and some people don't and you can't i i think that some teachers will just be great and others will just be mediocre and like Mm -hmm. the lord's gonna work through both of them Mm -hmm. it's just like maybe a student you have to kind of work harder with one than the other um yeah I don't know. You know? Yeah. Yeah, no. Like, the... you know how... Yeah, go ahead, Mom. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, you go ahead. <laughs> well, you just, you just... You know how cool it is. I don't know if you guys have taken any bio classes. or I mean, you've taken classes with Father Thomas, so this is... This applies there, too. But, like, mm-hmm. um, for instance, with, like, a bio professor, um, if you're learning about the heart and then... Um, Turns out your bio professor was a heart surgeon. He's going to be able to tell you every nook and cranny and why this does this and how to kind of do this. And like, he's going to know everything and you're going to get such a more fruitful picture because mm-hmm. he's had that experience and that knowledge. Whereas someone who's like, you know, got their master's in um, biology and is teaching you about the heart. will be able to teach you the basis, basics and pretty good, but mm-hmm. it won't be as fruitful as like, um, you know, the heart surgeon. So it just right. kind of goes, mm-hmm. goes, like correlates with that mm-hmm. um yeah yeah so overall well, well, i think well they said. should have a deep, deep education understand. right if they want to form um, the hearts well 
you know the reason (laughs) the reason that i asked this question is kind of because i've seen um both sides of the way that volunteers can work like my my first youth minister that i ever had um she was a volunteer her degree was in music so she was not like theologically formed in any way but she had the passion for it and so she educated herself basically she went through a bunch of training programs she tried to learn as much as she could and i'm not going to say that she gave us like really really deep like theology but we knew like she she knew, at least she knew the basics and what you're talking about like you said mo um now on the other side when she left um my second youth minister that i had for my senior year of high school she was also a volunteer and she had a lot of enthusiasm for the job um but her strengths did not lie in that job she's a very very prayerful woman very quiet, very like, you know, like I, I would call her a prayer warrior, very, very devoted to, to our Lord. Um, but she had absolutely no clue how to run that youth group. And as a result, it suffered because a lot of people like teens aren't dumb. They can see through that. Like, if you know, don't know what you're talking about, they're not going to listen to you. And so like a youth group that had like they're both volunteers, but they're the 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 results were very different. And so I think to speaking the most point, um, I think that's something that the church should really strive for is to make sure that anybody that is placed in the position of leadership of teaching um, before, especially young people. And this, it holds true for adults and, and, and young, like, like children as well. But um, I think every person that's put in that position should have some sort of training um, just so that at least they know what they're talking about. Even if they coming in, they don't know a whole ton. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're forming the hearts of our youth we need them to be yeah we need formers, them to be good. you know like, <laughs> i mean god can take care of a lot through grace but we might as well help yeah. them, you know <laughs> we, we try try to give god the least possible things to do um <laughs> <laughs> he's so busy right, we, we try to lighten his load yeah. you know he's he's an old man he can't, can't carry a lot uh okay on to the last section, and this um, is where you get to bring out any suggestions that you might have on how the church should improve. I'm not expecting anything like concrete, like life-changing, like I need to get this to the Pope as soon as possible, but anything that you think that the church can do better and should do better is is very welcome. Um, so that's kind of the first question that I have. What do you think that the church can do better? Um, I think the church, hmm, I think it has to start with the families. Um, I think building up families first so that, uh, kids like, so that like secondary education doesn't become like the primary educator of, um, the faith Mm -hmm. for children. Um, I think that's really important. And I think at least like Mo and I, we were both like raised where like our parents were our primary educators of the faith and truly like us going to Catholic schools was a secondary education. However, for a lot of the girls that, and boys, but like I went to all girls Catholic high school, like a lot of the girls, like this was their first time encountering the material. Um, and like our teacher was the only example of that, like, and there was no example for them outside of the classroom. So I think building up families, um, also being adaptable. Like I find in ministry, a lot of people just cling to how things are have been done for right. like so many years. And I was talking to my youth minister. Um, so she 
she's my confirmation sponsor also, and now we're friends. We've graduated to that level. <laughs> I was talking to Claire, and she is still the youth minister there, but she was like, we're totally revamping. Like, we're kind of just scratching everything that we have, but we're going to rebuild because you can't, you can't get too comfortable, like, in teaching. And, like, I think just being adaptable to, like, the needs of the youth like it's really different from when even we were in high school to now and um just a lot of the different um things that like kids are experiencing nowadays um so just being adaptable and flexible and yeah i think that's my biggest, biggest story. yeah that's mm-hmm. a, i think a concern to have what about you but like also yeah, maintaining like the truth of the church and like realizing that she's not changing, but how she presents herself right. can be changed yeah. without changing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like adapting to like the times, which she's always done. And she like, I think we were learning about this in systematics term, but like that is just a proof that God exists, that like the church is still yeah. around. Yeah. Like uh-huh. it has gone through so much. You know? Bruce. <laughs> it's not a human institution. It's so divine. Because yeah. it would have broken a long time ago if it was just. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what you know? Yeah. What yeah, I think the, the um, question of adapt or the point of adaptability is is really important because as um, not only through a person's life they change and how they learn and um, how they're moved towards what things that they love and things like that, mm-hmm. um, but also through generations like maybe theology is is the same as it was in the eighties, but not everyone really learns like they do in the eighties anymore. Or like, you know, for mm-hmm. a, a kind of strange example, but um, yeah. And I no, think, um, I think that's an interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah. I think something uh, within that adaptability and there might be ways in which like the culture is different. So you do have to speak to the um, people of that culture in a different way and through the medium that they understand. Uh, without, you know, watering down or compromising truths of the faith, as Teresa was saying. Um, but I think something that most people will cling on to no matter what, like, the age is. Like, when it comes to reaching the heart, as Teresa, I really like that heart versus head um, analogy. Uh, when it really comes to reaching the heart, that'll kind of change. Yeah, it'll kind of change to reach the heart um, directly throughout the ages. But when it comes to reaching the head, um, what I think is true, it's true always. And um, people typically, when they want to believe, when they're believing for something or when they want to love something, they want a reason. They want to see logic. They want to see this strung out, again, like philosophy major talking, but like this philosophical like outplay of just this perfect thing that just makes sense. And they want to do something that makes sense and that, yes, they feel good about, but also that just makes sense. Um, And so presenting the truths of of the faith um, as they are, like rational, logical, philosophically sound truths is so important. Um, Yeah. And then to translate that to the heart um, does take a lot of skill. And in order to like kind of meld the two, reach the heart so as to move the heart to God and move the mind to God um, is important. But this just reminds me of um, a movie that I saw actually like two days ago um with a friend of ours thomas um (laughs) um, it was a really funny movie and it was great and i I thought it was hilarious on its own but a lot of it had to do um do with i guess part of it um 
this girl comes in to this, she goes into like a uh, witness protection program and she is put in a convent and she is like this um, stage show singer. It's hilarious. Teresa, you would love it. What movie? Um, this sounds so good. <laughs> well, it, it is really fun. Yeah. But um, there's a point in it. So she like kind of takes on the choir and like starts directing them. And they're like really, really, you know, excitable um, and out there. And like, you know, they're clapping their hands. They're like have tambourines and stuff like that. And while I, I see how that, that, but like the thing that got me was that like, you know, these kids off the street in like these grungy clothes started walking to the church. Like, oh, what's that noise? Like, Whoa, this place is actually pretty cool. Um, mm-hmm. But I was thinking like, as good as that is, I don't, I wouldn't see that nowadays, you know, necessarily someone walking in the church and being like, just these kids off the street being like, dang, this is actually, church can be cool. Like that just wouldn't reach a lot of kids. Nowadays. Yeah. But something like, that makes them feel or makes them notice like, oh, this is important. This is true. This is um, complex. Now, again, this there can be a lot of ways to do this and it's move the heart towards God. And it really depends on the person. Um, but mm-hmm. I don't know. The, that's what you were saying about adaptability made me think of that, how like, especially nowadays, I don't think that w- that type of thing would draw as many people like in the way that they thought it would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there is a way... Still, I forget where I was kind of going with that, but um, <laughs> that's fine. So being adaptable is important, but also maintaining the truth and maintaining the logic and the um, just things that will never change is important mm-hmm. to instill that, but in order to translate it kind of pure, per um, generation. I think that's what I was trying to say. Yeah. I kind of forgot yeah. where I was going for a moment. I got me thinking about that movie. Yeah, weird. I think. <laughs> I think also, first of all, wow, what a movie the sister act was. I enjoyed the game of trying to figure out what movie we were talking that's about. That's what it was. Um, that's my tongue. Sister act, right? It's so great. Such a great movie. Love oh, Whoopi, but um, love her. But um, I think also realizing that like kids can handle this material. Like You don't have to water it down. Like I wish that I would have been challenged a more in middle school Mm -hmm. because I think I could have handled it um and I definitely wasn't like just in you know your everyday like catholic um, school so yeah I think just really like actually giving and also teenagers like giving them this stuff and not I think everyone wants to just kind of take the easy route and like doesn't want to go too hard on you don't want to you know, hurt anybody's feelings or whatever, but in reality, like, I don't know, like, I think kids, you know, many centuries ago used to just learn this when they're very young, but now for some reason, I think there are a lot of, like, roadblocks put in place and through, like, our education, like, process of um, catechesis, and so I think just realizing that these kids can handle stuff. Like, I have a friend, um, she's a kindergarten teacher, and she teaches her class they like know all of the mysteries of the rosary and they can recite them all did i know that as a child no i hated playing yeah. rosary at but, I, I still feel like, sometimes. <laughs> yeah but i mean like she so, has her little ones like they know this stuff so mm-hmm. i think and they can, we can yeah maybe a little bit more than right yeah, yeah. that's given. a good point and kids like they want to know more too like right, i remember yeah. being in second grade again hearing these things where I was like, uh-huh, yep, that sounds good. 
but like I don't want just like I was really good at religion in grade school, like A plus plus because it was so basic. Yeah. I was thinking in my head like three years ago. What is this? Yeah, because our parents you know? taught yeah. us like three years ago. Like it was just right. a question we had, and our parents talked to us. But mm-hmm. you know, if it's not a discussion in the home, like I don't know, you are learning for the first time in fifth grade, so I guess that does make sense, like why some kids are learning it so late because their parents aren't really True. talking about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big thing. What you were saying about like the family formation, that's huge. Mm-hmm. That can really yeah. like if you don't it, think out or like if it's not kind of like stamped in your brain, it's gonna be a lot harder for you to go out and live it. You know, it's definitely possible. Um, mm-hmm. but if there's not that catechesis in the home at all, it's gonna be really difficult. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I this is gonna take it like another step further, but even like our parents, like when they're being formed for marriage, like they should, it, it kind of comes full circle. Like they should realize like what they're doing. I'm taking a class right now on Christian marriage. And so like they should be aware of like they, the whole point of marriage is for the procreation and the education of your kids. Like that is the whole point. And so, you know, you don't have to be, you know, a theology major with like a bunch of degrees coming out of the wazoo but like you have a duty to your children to help raise them in whatever way that looks like and it doesn't need to be super complex and like aquinas every day you know tuesdays of thomas but (laughs) but there i don't know you can i think each family will have um, a specific way that they form their kids but i think realizing that that's a duty that they have is really important yeah, no, I think y'all y'all touched on a great point that was like we actually discussed in one of my classes, is that the reason that a lot of kids suffer in their formation that they don't have that great formation in the home is because their parents weren't formed in the first place, and so this is coming from a generational discord where maybe after a certain point, like the people that are their parents now weren't educated when they were kids, and so they didn't know a lot about it, and so when they have kids, how are they supposed to? Um, teach something that they don't know and so at a certain point that becomes just like well if i don't know it then the church has to know it and so we'll just send the kids out there and they'll learn from the church now that's not necessarily bad but i think like y'all said education outside the home should be supplementary it should like we should know a lot of the basics already and so that way we get a fuller understanding when we go out and we learn from people that might know a little bit more than our parents right um yeah no very very well said you guys i i really like that exchange um all right and then i think from the sister act now because mo and i are ready yeah so and the last question i kind of had is i wanted to touch on something that Teresa actually added earlier like um your your uh, was it your sister i think <laughs> who who has their kindergarten kids say in the rosary <laughs> Oh, that's my friend. My friend's friend, but she's also my friend. So, right. <laughs> my okay, friend's so sister. She's obviously a quality teacher. Yes. If she can get kids to like to get to, to pray the rosary, yeah. remember the rosary. How do this? How does the church increase mm-hmm. the number? How do we? How do we motivate more people to do this kind of work? Um, especially, I think, if we're not maybe not as a world as a whole, but here in the United States, how do we get more people to do this work? Hmm. 
I mean, I think if you um, foster good, God-loving Catholics, then those that are more inclined to teach will want to teach what they love. Um, you know, so I think it really starts in the formation of each generation. And hopefully if you form enough within that generation, then the next generation will be covered. And like, um, I know that seems like a very simple fix. Like that's what you do, but it does seem like, you know, Mm -hmm. yeah, you have to form good Catholics. And then from that formation, a natural, uh, we have, we'll have a natural inclination to evangelize. And part of that evangelization, it would be, catechesis so um that would be the hope right (laughs) um what do you think um i think just i think in order to like raise up those teachers like you need to acknowledge like the gifts that are present and to like affirm those in people Mm -hmm. like especially if you're maybe in a position of teaching um, and you see that in a student, like to just call it out and to, I mean, cultivate it kind of um, and work with them um, in like teaching them how to be a leader and teaching them how to teach and like giving them opportunities to do that, um, which does mean like entrusting people with more responsibility. And like, I mean, just like having faith. I don't know. I feel like I feel like we could all, I think that there are a lot of really great teachers out there. Um, and maybe in some settings, like you have teachers who don't, or I'm really thinking in like more of like a ministry setting, but. Um, yeah, that's fine too. Yeah. Like just to like call, call people up and to give them more responsibility and to um, like really disciple. Like I think, you will grow more teachers like that um, and more faithful Catholics like that if you are like walking with them. Um, and that doesn't mean you can disciple like 30 million people. Like um, one of my, my best friends, she's um, about to start a uh, focused missionary. And so we've talked a lot about that model of discipleship that they have. And so they have um, like one person and you disciple two people. And then when the time comes, like, your the people you're discipling will choose two people and like ask them to like enter into discipleship and really it's just being in relationship with people and walking with people um and i mean you see that model with jesus and the disciples like he had 12 that's a big number um but he had three who was who were like in his inner circle and so i think if we yeah i think cultivation of those kinds of teachers is going to come through um like relationship and making sure that like that connection between head and heart is there. Um, and if you feel like you have not like achieved that, but like you're on the path to achieving that and like you are like making progress in this area um, and you like your relationship with Christ, that it's like um, not just intellectual, but like spiritual and um, it's both and um, that you're sharing what you have with others. Mm-hmm. And like walking with them in their own journeys too. So I think really like the ministry side of things, um, mm-hmm. like you raise more teachers like that. And I think I'm very grateful for the teachers that kind of took me under their wing and um, like just invested time in me. So yeah. I think just relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I think 
maybe this is a, a consequence of the culture or the society that we live in, but I think one major barrier to a lot of people taking on that responsibility is that it's presented as a responsibility. Um, I think people forget just how um, just how fulfilling that job is, right? Once um, something that Joe and Patrick mentioned is like a lot of times when they had to prepare their sessions for St. Luke's, um, they were like, wow, we have to do this again on Sunday. Like this is going to take so much time. But once they got into that environment, once they stepped into that classroom, the mission really came to the forefront of their mind. All of that stuff of like this taking this is a waste of our time. They're not going to listen to us. All those fears are out the window when they got put in that situation because they realized the responsibility, the, the, like just like what they, you know, what they owed to these students. Um, and they're like, well, it's not been easy. They, they definitely, that was definitely the big theme. It's not been easy um, to deal with 15 year old teenage boys because 15 year old teenage boys are the hardest, like, demographic to get to do anything um taking for somebody that's been a 15 year old teenage boy um but like they like we wouldn't trade those experiences for anything because they've helped us immensely in our own growth um and i think that flies under the radar so i think maybe that i think that's definitely one thing like you said Teresa, it's cultivating that relationship to where people can see this is not this is not just going out of me this is not just energy that i have to put into something there's a lot coming back to me as well um, and making sure that that's apparent, um, I think would be a, a great like first step towards all of that to co- getting more teachers. Uh, yeah. 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 And I think realizing well, too that like, you go home. No. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> oh, I think realizing that like this is not just something for teachers. Like this is not just like a teacher's problem. Like this is like. Our, all of our vocations is to be holy um, and to spread the gospel. And so, yes, that will look different. And it is not as direct, maybe, if you are, um, you know, like a lawyer or you work in uh, a science lab, like maybe politics. Like it's not as like in your face as dealing with the subject matter directly. But mm-hmm. like this is something that, yeah, like, I mean, this is our duty to do. Like, I mean, we're, we are, like, the representatives of Christ on earth. And, um, yeah, seeing that as a call, too. And a gift, really, like, that we get to share this message. Yeah. Um, and I totally understand how they feel yeah. of, like, oh, I have to do this again. Like, <laughs> then, like, when you're in it, it's like, this is the best thing ever. How could I ever feel yeah. any other way? Mel, what were you thinking? Yeah, well, I was also thinking, like, something the church can do directly, um, you know, in the time being, is um, educating our priests really well. And those seminarians, making sure they get a really, really thorough education. Because they are, they do find that calling to be those high-class theologians that they keep talking about. Um, And, you know, Mm -hmm. there are different strengths and different um, type of ministry the priests priests can engage in, but especially our, our pastoral like um, pastoral priests who um, are spe- well speaking at the pulpit every weekend. This can really change hearts one way or the other. I know, like my life has been very influenced by certain just very like twenty minute homilies or fifteen minute, ten minute homilies, five minute homilies. You know, like if we can change hearts through those primary educators, then um, 
that'll just reach so many more people because we have these, we have the seminaries we can form directly and the church right. can directly say, well, you guys learn this, you learn it like this and you don't do this. Like, so I just think that's so cool. I love the seminarians. Um, we get to, you know, see around our campus. I know oh, like yeah. I have a bunch of classes, but I'm love sure we guys. all do as well. Mm -hmm. They're so great, and they're receiving a really thorough education. So I would, if one of them were my parish priest, I'm sure I would just like sit back and like, <laughs> like these guys are great. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's for sure. something the church can do very directly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we're living in a time where like we're blessed with a lot of like very holy, holy, um, and young like priests that are, and not just because we all go to school with seminarians, but also at least just like in my diocese, um, my mom works at the seminary. And so like growing up, like we would just kind of be there and we got to know a lot of these priests and like watch their formation process. And now mm -hmm. they were seminarians and now they're priests. And so, um, I don't know. I think we're living at a time where like that education is, um, present and they are, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. They are being formed yeah. in that way. And so, I'm excited to see what comes out of like the fruit of their vocation, like Absolutely. in their parishes and like in their like, role as spiritual father. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We have to keep You're praying right. for those vocations that they're nurtured and, and come to fulfillment, right? Yeah. Very important. Well, that is everything that I have to ask you guys for today. Thank you guys so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, with this quarantine, with this whole world situation, uh, I think this is like a small project is very small in the grand scheme of things, but I'm glad that I'm able to, 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 to make it with you guys. So next up is the last episode, episode five, uh, Luke Pelletier will be on tomorrow. I'm still not quite sure, um, who else, who else will be on with him, but, uh, there'll definitely be somebody with an opinion we're sharing. So Maureen, Teresa, thank you guys once again. Thanks for uh, asking us, And that's us. Yeah. Thanks for having me.